Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football. Penn State beats Indiana 33-24. to Was this the game where Drew Aller grows up? Was Penn State extremely hungover, or did Ohio State lay the blueprints? How will Penn State respond with Maryland on the road next? All that and more in this week's episode. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. Welcome to Hardcore Penn State Football. I'm Corey Listoki. With me, as always, the great Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? You know, you know, I said to I said to our buddy as we were walking out, it's about as good as I could have felt coming out of a nine-point win against a terrible team like Indiana. Um, but other than that, weekend was good. Uh Corey, gracious tailgate host, um, and the Dolphins won yesterday. So overall, I'm pretty happy on this Monday. How are you, Corey? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, glad you guys were able to stop by, and uh, we had a good time tailgating beforehand. So that was that was good. That was solid. Um, never going to complain about an opportunity to hang out, drink some beers with with everybody. So um, very happy in that sense. Wrong in the sense of what we thought the game was going to go like and and how that all went down. Penn State definitely hung over. Indiana, though, and and credit to Indiana because they came out and they wanted to win the game. And I know that sounds silly, but they really played some really good football. Brendan Soresby, the quarterback for Indiana, I thought played tremendous. Uh, did some really good things. And besides that one bad throw to Jalen Reed over the middle where he shouldn't have thrown the ball, I thought he played a really good game. And that's kind of how close this was, Sean. I mean, you take out that field goal after the interception before half, and then you give Indiana the chip shot that they miss. Like, there's six points right there. Um, 
it was a close game. And if it wasn't for the final drive, we could be talking about a completely different game. I mean, if that game goes to overtime, Sean. How good do you really feel about that going Penn State's way? Uh, and look, like Indiana was able to run the ball a little bit better there in the second half. Um, it it kind of felt had a little bit like 2020 vibes. Like if this thing goes to overtime, like Michael Penix Jr. could be coming out of the grave and and, and getting a two point conversion to win the game or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. seemed like you didn't want that game to go over time because you would have no control of what could happen. And I thought our one buddy Higgins had a good way of putting it like that. That felt like the Illinois 2021 game. And surprisingly enough comes after Penn state's first loss. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been a theme in the James Franklin era, right? Um, the first loss Penn state usually looks very lethargic and deflated and almost defeated. And it's, bizarre and i don't know what goes on in their bye weeks but i don't know or not bye weeks uh i don't know what goes on there either um but i don't know what goes on after losses they just like get into a deep depression and i don't i don't know um but it's got to change and i'm not there i can't tell you what they do during the week but whatever it is just change it up because we almost lost indiana um and you know when you watch a game like that it's not it wasn't a mistake that it was very close. Like sometimes, like if you watch the UCLA Colorado game on Saturday, it was only a 12 point UCLA win, but UCLA had four turnovers in the first half. If Colorado's offensive line was halfway competent, Colorado probably wins that game. That was not the case against Indi- against Indiana. Indiana outplayed Penn State for a large part of that game. It was no mistake that um that they almost that they almost won and the defense did not play well uh it's their first really it's their first bad game of the season uh, i thought they played very very well against ohio state well enough to win it even though we didn't win the game uh but that was the worst that they played um the offense had its moments definitely even if you take the the last drive out i i i think I think Aller overall had a good game, which was encouraging. I did not like the interception, but I thought overall he played well. Uh, He tends to play better at home. Only difference this time is he took more chances. And he completed the the pass over the middle to Theo Johnson for the touchdown. Uh, There was the one to Nick Singleton rolling out, throwing across his body over the middle. It was a dangerous throw, but he was able to fit it in there. And then, of course, the dagger to Keandre Lambert-Smith at the end. So that was encouraging. So there were some things to like in this game, things to not like, of course. Um, the the run game, I mean, this I think this is just what the run game is, and that's very depressing considering people were, some people were saying we had the best running back tandem in the country coming into this year. Uh, we do not, breaking news. And, um, yeah, and it tends to be easy to scheme against this run game when the passing game struggles and it but it, it it's it's a little beyond that i mean the there isn't a that there isn't a ton of push even on quarterback sneaks sometimes we struggle and we have a six five quarterback uh the t formation isn't quite as lethal this year when everybody in the stadium knows you're going to run the ball a lot of times we can't run the ball so 
things to take out of it that are positive, but there's a lot of negatives too. I think the defense will be fine, but uh, you can't be too too happy after a nine point win against Indiana. Yeah, the you know the defensively, I think they're going to be fine, and I I would disagree a little bit on Indiana playing better. They ended up with more total yards, but Indiana's three touchdowns, ninety yards. 69 yards and 26 yards and you got to give them credit for creating big explosive plays and that's that's no knock against them you take those three plays out of it indiana only throws for for 84 yards so quite a quite a staunch difference there um that being said all three of those big plays um oh got some speaker music going on there um besides those big plays Penn State did do a good job on defense um especially you know we talk all the time about uh sudden change and Drew Aller throws that interception and to hold Indiana to a field goal a three and out and a field goal was was big time right like you thought Indiana could go down there and score a touchdown you know, does Penn State respond the same way if the game's tied versus being down? Who knows? Um, so that was a big stop. Uh, the, the pick, obviously, before the half was three three free points. And then once Penn State scored, the defense went out there, denied Dennis Sutton, for, forces that fumble. They kicked the ball around and get a safety. But they shut the door, right? I mean, there was still an opportunity there for Indiana, and they shut the door. And at the end of the day, that that does matter and make a difference. But Sean, the offense to me was similar in a lot of ways. We're going to show the film room a little bit later on today. There were things that I was happy about and I think were an improvement from the Ohio State game. Um, but I will agree with you. Like you can't run the ball well and you can't throw the ball. But also, like, just for example, like I think Sal Warmly had his worst game of the season. Um not just running, but also pass blocking. I think Hunter Norzad had his worst pass blocking game of the year. Uh, Vey Ione's already kind of struggled in his own right in the pass blocking sense. Um, and then Caden Wallace got banged up and, and Drew Sheldon had to come in the game. So uh, not overall, not a great offensive line performance by any stretch of the imagination. Indiana, not a good rush defense team coming in. Their linebackers are able to play downhill quite a bit, and, and that caused some problems. Katron Allen, just looking at the numbers, like Katron Allen did still average 4.5 yards per carry um, and 81 yards. So in all like sense of things, he did okay. But Nick Singleton, 15 carries for 50 yards, only 3.3 yards per carry. Like that's that's not exactly what you want to see there. He did have a really good run to ice the game at the end for whatever, for whatever that's worth. I think that might have been his longest, actually, of seven yards. Um but you're right, Sean. The run game's not there. And again, we we said this during the Ohio State game, right? If you can't stretch the team vertically with the passing game, you need to have a quarterback that can stretch it horizontally with his legs. And and right now, Penn State doesn't have either of those things. And those linebackers, those safety Sean's, they're going to continue to creep into the box. It's going to make it harder for this offensive line to to get to the second level. And those big explosive plays are going to continue to be hard to find in the run game. Yeah, the blueprint's out there on how to stop Penn State, and Ohio State provided that, and it's load the box, make Drew Aller beat you. Now, Drew Aller did beat them, so that was good to see. Um, he he didn't beat Ohio State, but he 
he made the play at the end. And like I said, even all throughout the game, I mean, the interception was, that was a bad interception. But outside of that, I thought he played well. I did. Um, he he did some things that we hadn't seen him do previously, and I did see some growth. Of course, it's Indiana. Indiana is not a good team, uh, but he hadn't gone deep on anybody. He really wasn't throwing the ball over the middle on anybody. So that's good. Um, you mentioned Caden Wallace got hurt. That that's a big injury if he's out for an extended period of time. Uh, this offense, this offensive line, back to back years. Uh, starting to get decimated by injuries. I think Vanga got uh, a little banged up yesterday to, or on Saturday as well. Uh, JB Nelson played, did not start again, but he did play. Um, I don't know if he's still in quote unquote emergency role, but he he was in there. Um, I, I thought he I thought he played pretty good um, for his first game back. Uh, yeah, uh, Harrison Wallace got hurt as well. And that's that's another big thing to take out of this game. And the receivers struggles have been noted by pretty much everybody. And that's your second best receiver. And then, you know, it's DeAndre Lambert Smith. And right now, guys, it's a bunch of Jags. Just the guy. They're just guys behind DeAndre Lambert Smith right now. And it doesn't mean nobody can develop or anything like that. But. You need somebody to step up here because if Harrison Walsh is and he was in a sling, that is that is not a good sign. That means he's probably out until maybe the bowl game. Uh, that's usually what those things mean. So whether it's Malik McLean or Liam Clifford, who did not play yesterday, or Dante Sipa, somebody has to step up in that receiver room. And I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe... Uh, I saw somebody suggest, and I, I it might have just been some guy on Twitter, but I thought it was a good idea. Maybe you start flanking Theo Johnson out because he's not going to block that well. Uh, he's he, Theo's just not a blocker. He's shown that this year. Maybe you start putting him out wide, and you bring Dinkins, and you could even bring Dinkins in to to uh, for blocking. I mean, it's it's getting to that point that you got to start getting a little bit creative here. Yeah, I th- Theo Johnson doesn't create enough separation on the outside. That's the issue. I mean, he doesn't create – he's not creating separation against linebackers and safeties in the middle of the field. He And and they're not throwing him the ball to just go one-on-one and win a, a matchup either against a, a shorter corner. Like, they don't give him those options anyway. In fact, for the first time, you could argue all year they threw that ball in man coverage during the Indiana game. but. I don't expect them to throw the ball to him, even if he's covered, just to give him a chance, right? Um, Johnny Dixon got banged up, too. He came back into the game, but it's just something to pay attention to. His shoulder was a really bad tackle. He tried to, like, just throw a shoulder at uh, Brandon Sorsby, and he hurt himself. So hopefully it's just a stinger there. Um, But you covered the other ones. J.B. Nelson played in 41 snaps, if anyone was curious how many he actually played. and I'm sure we'll talk receivers a bunch today about, about Trey Wallace. Uh, Robert Kaufman on YouTube. Too much read option in RPO. Everyone goes with Nick because Aller is a two-star running back, running quarterback. Can we throw the ball from the pocket and run with a lead blocker to get five-star talent and spots to succeed? Yeah, I mean, I don't think, you know, they ran the RPO 
and he actually threw it to Keandre Lambert Smith on a goal line, and that's when he came up like a yard short. I actually think he should have handed the football off because they shaded the inside of Keandre Lambert Smith. Uh, slant route really wasn't there, and they completed it, but they didn't score off of it. Um, you know, it's just different, right? Like, they are not – like, people think RPO, you have to have a mobile quarterback. Like, that's not true. But to Robert's point, we are not throwing that middle slant deep post or shallow post, whatever you want to call it. Like, we are not throwing that ball very often. So those linebackers are not – you know, they are not biting on Drew Aller to run it or for Drew Aller to throw it behind them right now. So to that point, I agree – um, but they, they aren't really running read option. Like, I think a lot of times people see read option because they see that inside zone and they think Drew Aller's reading, but he's not actually reading. But, but to, to your point, Robert, like, yeah, you, if you're not going to throw it to the slant route or the D or the shallow post, then why even have the RPO? Now the RPO, I think has worked when they throw it to the tight end in the flat. I think they've had success there doing the RPO, um, but they're not running a lot of true zone reads to Drew Aller. Although Drew Aller had a couple decent runs today. Um, one other point here from Keenan. Street matter. Uh, how much of this season passing struggles can be attributed to the lack of consistent explosive running? So he's like flipping around, Sean. Like if you have, you know, more explosive running, does that open up the passing game a little bit more? Uh, feel like the passing game is under way more pressure this year than last year. You know, th- that's a good point, Keenan. I always think about this, like, maybe not last year as much, but at times, even the year before, like, you kind of catch yourself in this rut, Sean. It's a little bit of the chicken-egg situation. Like, how do you throw to run, but then you need to run to, like, it just, It kind of keeps coming back to the same thing, right? Um, and I feel like when you feel that way, it's because the offense lacks identity, and it just doesn't seem like they have any rhythm. Penn State... Like, that doesn't happen when Penn State gets a first down. Like, when Penn State picks up a first down, the offense, I really feel like, begins to get in gear. But it's getting started. Like, that first first down is like you have to pry out one of your teeth every time you want to convert on that first first down. So I don't know how you get in better rhythm earlier on. But I think once they get that first first down, I think Mike Yersich in this offense has a lot more confidence it's just getting that first one seems so difficult. And then it doesn't seem as much of a got to run to pass or got to pass to run. I feel like once they get that first one, it, it, they just start playing football and not guessing it too much or thinking about it too much. Yeah. I mean, great offenses make everything look easy and mediocre offenses make everything look hard. And Penn State is making everything look hard right now. And as far as their identity goes, I agree with you. They they don't they don't have one. Uh, I I think I know what they want to be, and that's be a ball control offense. Um, I think think that's what they want. But again, you have to control the ball to be a ball control offense. And if you can't run the ball, yeah, it's going to be hard to do that. And right now they're they're in a rut. Uh, they haven't really been able to run the ball with much consistency um, in a few weeks, at least since the Iowa game. And even then, we weren't getting explosive runs. Our longest run of the year is from Tank Smith. And as much as we all love Tank Smith, that that's not a that's not a good sign. And there's just and I, I, I it's a hard thing 
to figure out because we've had teams in the past that couldn't run the ball. Uh, look at the 2021 team. But a lot of those, a lot of those times they were getting blown up behind the line of scrimmage. And that's not happening much now. Uh, they're getting a yard or two, but that's it. <laughs> and then it's second and eight. And it's, or you throw for five yards on first down and we pick up a yard and then it's third and four. And then there's an incomplete pass and we're punting. And it feels like that's almost every drive. And it's just frustrating that they could they could pick up a yard or two here and there. But that's about it. And I think it has to do with everything. Uh, offensive line, they're not holding their, their blocks long enough. Um, and Nick Singleton, Nick Singleton especially, is not breaking tackles. But even Katron Allen in, in the open field, he doesn't he's not breaking that many tackles. He could break them at the line. But really, when he gets going, he isn't breaking a ton of tackles um, out in space. And it, it's a bizarre thing. And I think they kind they kind of feed off of each other. Um, yeah, I'll give you. I'll give I, don't, you this I don't know how to. I don't know how to crack that code. I agree on the read option too. I think the read option needs to be thrown out of the playbook. Yeah, I don't think they're running read option though. I mean, it's hard to tell. I mean, is Drew reading the end? Uh, that's the thing to determine. Now, the RPO, the RPO, in my opinion, still has value because Nick Foles won a Super Bowl running RPO. And Nick Foles was not a mobile quarterback. Like, you don't need to be. Right. Uh, I think a lot of people think you need to be like Lamar Jackson running an RPO. You, you don't. You could be a pocket passer and be a great RPO quarterback. And, I mean, I, I don't think, I wouldn't call Drew, Drew Aller a great RPO quarterback, but I think he could do it for sure. He's got the yeah. arm to do it. He's a smart kid. He could definitely, he can do it. I wanted to give you a number here to support support your argument as far as, like the offensive line not doing a bad job. In 2019, Penn State was 91st in tackles for loss allowed. In 2021, Penn State was 100, 113th in tackles for loss allowed. And in 2023, this year, Penn State is currently 22nd. And tackles for loss allowed. So to your point, they are not really having negative plays like they were a couple of years ago, like they were definitely five years ago, right? Like they have really cut down on the number of tackles for loss. They've stayed on schedule pretty well. They haven't done great on third down, especially the last couple of weeks. And they continue to lack explosive plays. Like they are like Two things. If you're going to have a uh, an offense where you don't have a lot of explosive plays, you've got to be able to convert on third down because you got to be able to sustain drives. If you can't convert on third down, then you better create a lot of explosive plays and minimize how many times you are in third down. And Penn State's doing neither of those. They are picking up three yards, four yards on first down. But then it is like difficult for them to to pick up those final six, seven yards. Like, you're 100% right. They are not losing yards on first down. But their second down play calling right now, I wonder what the average yard, to, like, 
that they gain on second down, I would probably say it's probably like 1.2, 1.5, if I had to guess, like including incompletions into that. Like I would say they aren't doing enough on second down to give them a legit chance at sustaining drives on third down enough. If you want to take, you know, if you want to be explosive, so be it. Be explosive, limit the third downs. But if you're going to do this, you got to, you can't just be good on first down. You also got to be good on second down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then that's something that in the month of September, I think we did a good job at was being good on first and second down. Now, the competition has gone significantly up since then. Uh, even though I think West Virginia has a decent team, they they don't have a good defense. And then, I mean, yeah, you're going to be able to move the ball in Delaware. But then you started seeing the problems creep in against Illinois, and they never really have been able to fix them. And, yeah, it, it, Sean, it's, it in, was, yeah. In August, September, Penn State was at 44.87% on third down. And so far in October, Penn State's now at 35.71%. So they've dropped by almost 10% in third down from in, in the month of October. Yeah, and they had a game that they went 1 of 16. Don't want to talk about that again, but, I mean, yeah, that's just not winning football. And it's not just against Ohio State either. Like, they just haven't been – haven't been able to do it uh for for a myriad of reasons i mean the the receivers the the the, the, this this is not the miami dolphins receiving core this is not the 2016 2017 penn state receiving core and it shows this is one of one of their weakest receiving cores i mean i don't want to go back to like 2004 i don't i don't know i don't think it's that bad but i mean it's not good. And then, I mean, Drew has had See, issues. Sean, but what, uh, what, seeing... what is that diff? What, how is this receiving core that much different than last year's? Like Parker Washington. See, I don't, strange. I don't think Parker Washington. I don't think, well, I really don't think Brenton Strange is that much better in the passing game than Ty Warren and, and Theo Johnson. Like, better blocker for sure, not even close. Like, we, if you want to talk yeah, about like why the running game isn't good, like yeah. Brenton Strange but not in the passing game. I agree. Parker Washington made some good plays, but Parker Washington also disappeared for a lot of the games. Like big Ohio state game deserves a lot of credit for that. Had some flash plays here and there, but he also disappeared in a lot of games. Um, And Tinsley, like I don't think Tinsley's any better athletically than a healthy Trey Wallace, which I don't know if we've seen since West Virginia, but I just don't. And then obviously Keandre Lambert Smith was there. And it's, I just like I am not gonna sit like sit here and say that the receiving core, and I don't know if you're even trying to say this, but I'm not gonna sit here and say that the receiving core is isn't good enough to be where they were last year, right? Like I think with a quarterback that throws the ball to open receivers when they're open, and maybe an offense line that protects a little bit better, because I don't think they're protecting as well as last year. At least they didn't last uh, on Saturday. Like, I think they can be way better than what they've showed so far. Like, to me, like, yeah, maybe they're not crazy talented. Maybe there's no Jahan Dotson. Maybe there's no Godwin. Maybe whatever. But 
that is not an excuse for them to be this bad. Like they are four star guys, Sean. Like yeah. there's just no way that these guys don't have the talent to put better stats than what we've seen so far. Like it, it, the 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 numbers aren't matching the athleticism. No, but it all contributes. And you're and if you remember at the beginning of the year last season, Brenton Strange was sort of carrying the passing game, and. Um, now, part of that was Sean Clifford as well, and I think Theo Johnson is definitely capable of putting up Brenton Strange stats. Uh, I, I I would take Mitchell Tinsley over Harrison Wallace. I haven't seen Harrison Wallace prove anything to me. I would too, but um, I don't think like their ceilings are much different than each other. No, I don't think their ceilings are much different. It's just now Harrison Wallace, inexperienced player, still he still has stuff to prove. Harrison Wall or uh, uh, Mitch Tinsley was a finished product when he got to Penn State, and just having somebody you could trust and I th- and, and is ready right out of the box. I thought that was a huge thing for this for this team last year. We don't beat Purdue last year without Mitch Tinsley. No doubt in my mind. And then same thing with Parker Washington. Now you're right. Parker would disappear at times and people tend to forget about that. We were actually critical of Parker Washington last year, but in the big games, he tended to show up, namely Ohio State. I think he went over 100 yards receiving the past two seasons. I mean, you can make an argument if we have Parker Washington this year. If he decides to come back, we might have won that game against Ohio State. Um, so I just don't think there's a, there's a lot of trust between the quarterback and these receivers. Now, I'm not somebody who puts all the passing woes on their receivers. I think that's a lazy take, and that's uh, that's – how some people and some people just are afraid of criticizing a five-star quarterback because they don't think he's capable of making a mistake and struggling. And that annoys me because of course he is, he's a human. He's learning how to play the position in in the big 10 and it's hard to do. Um, But I do wish we had one more guy and it feels like we don't have a number one receiver. And, And to your point, we didn't have a number one receiver last year but we did have more guys that we could trust. Yeah. And if you had a perfect world, you know, if you have Christian Hackenberg, true freshman year, and he has Allen Robinson to throw the ball to like, yeah, I helped him a ton. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think we're on the same page there. Um, Before we get into the breakdowns, I just had one more thing I wanted to complain about. Um, and, And that is the student section. I thought inexcusable for the student section to be as weak as it was on Saturday. It was a gorgeous day for the end of October. Um, I know Penn State coming off of a loss. You know, the season's not over by any stretch of the imagination. And and you have an opportunity to be in 70-degree weather at a home football game at the end of October, and you can't even fill out the lower bowl? Are you kidding me? So I just want to say that you guys got to do better than that. That was, that was a pathetic performance. Um, you know, this team... Don't know where they're going to end up when it's all said and done. But they are a good football team. Most likely, at worst, going to be a 10-2 and two team. They deserve they deserve you guys to show up and give them some love. Um, I don't know if it's because they know that Indiana wasn't supposed to be very good or they were going to have to be there for the Michigan game. That's also at noon. They just wanted a drink. I don't really care. It, it wasn't a good show in by the student section at all. And I think... To a certain degree, that hurt the energy on defense a little bit, too. I think, you know, lulled you asleep a little bit. They didn't have the full the full crowd supporting. The rest of the fans, I thought, showed up pretty well. 
Uh, I thought it was a pretty jam-packed house otherwise, but the student section was was a joke. And um, yeah. let me see here. I, I have a little note here from Grant LeChat, who is a student. He said, I showed up 30 minutes for the game, and he was in row 13 for the student section. So, that's And the fact that he was able to get in. So that, to me, was disappointing to see. I really thought a beautiful day would be jam-packed. I mean, there was a lot of people there for Delaware. And to just not show up after one loss, like – Hard to sit here and criticize a team for not showing up against Indiana when you can't even show up and sit in the bleachers. Yeah, I mean, like students, you have a pretty damn good team. Um, you know, I remember a lot better teams than some of the teams we had to see. Yeah, and also before <laughs> us, obviously too. Yeah, like I remember sitting there in 2014 against Michigan State, and it's freezing cold outside, and we're getting killed, and I still stayed till the end. Like that's you only have so many of these games, you only, and and then it's over and it goes like that. And then you're you're wishing for your days back in the student section. And yeah, I agree with Corey. I mean, it, when when we were sitting there, I was like, God, it's not filled at all. And I, I thought, well, maybe by the end of the first quarter and it barely filled up anymore. And I was like, wow, that's that's not that's not good. So it was disappointing. Um, Definitely one of the, and and like and like you said, I, I it it it's not you don't have the same energy then in the stadium and the players do feed off that energy. There's a reason they play so well in the whiteout every year and they're feeding off the you know you're part of the game when you're when you're in that student section. It was loud in the north end zone. I'll say that like it was it like the end of the game like that last drive where uh, DDS had the forced fumble. It was really really loud. I mean. But the North End Zone guys, I mean, those are mostly they're mostly alums and they, they know how to get rowdy. You're damn right they do. You're damn right they do. <laughs> um Jay Biz had a comment here on YouTube. The fans do not respect the players. Booing them with one loss is just crazy. Sean, what do you think of the boo birds? Um, I don't like when they're directed at a player. Um, uh, like when they booed Sean Clifford. I just don't think you do that. Uh, if you're booing, I, I have a little bit of a different opinion. I think when you're booing, it's mostly directed at the coaching staff. And um, I don't hate it. I didn't boo on Saturday. I, I did not. But I was like, what What are we doing? <laughs> I mean, this is Indiana. <laughs> um, so I don't love it. It's not something I do. But I don't hate it unless it's directed at a player specifically yeah yeah i mean they were booing a lot of times for like the fourth and two where they decided to punt it was, after oh, i'm sorry no no that, that was about it was franklin booed before the game like when he uh, says, there was like, a mix James it was franklin. a mix yeah i wasn't there i wasn't in the stadium yet yeah i know it was but a, sometimes it was a after losses drew Aller was drew Aller was still Still cheered for whatever that's worth. And that's um, good. Yeah. Always cheer the guys in the pregame. Grant Grant lists off some comments he heard in the student section. Um, I can only imagine. Can only imagine oh. some of the stuff in there. Um Ryan mentions the ride receiver blocking. I actually have a good example of that in the film room. Yeah, that's another thing that's same from the run game. Good point. And you know what? There like Trey Wallace wasn't an amazing blocker. But Malik McLean came in for Trey Wallace, and, and he really struggled in that department as far as blocking goes. Um, Ryan, I don't know if you follow us on Twitter or not. 
at Hardcore PSUFB because I probably won't show that play during the pod tonight, um, but it will definitely be on Twitter tomorrow. Really good example where Malik McLean's able to get this block. Nick Singleton might house it, which how many examples of that have we had this year too, which, you know, I Mitch Tinsley better blocker than some of those other guys to your point. So um, thank you guys for the comments on YouTube. We appreciate it. Sean, offensively, I, let's just talk receivers since we're already kind of there. Malik McLean ended up with 59 snaps after Trey Wallace got hurt. Um, Sean, Sean Clifford, Liam Clifford, Caden Saunders, and Omari Evans, no offensive snaps. Um, thought it was kind of... It's weird. Kind of a bad... <laughs> well, first of all, kind are. of a bad look, I think, to have Caden Saunders run on the field with the American flag. Really cool. His dad, I think, served... I think it was 24 years, is what they said. Um, Something like that, yeah. And then he didn't play on offense at all. Like, I was like... Ugh. Well, I, I mean, mean, how's he going to play with all those great receivers we have, Corey? Well, and it's okay. I will say this about Caden Saunders and, and Liam Clifford. They are putting Keandre Lambert Smith in a slot a lot more. And yes, so that's a big part of it. You're not gonna put Liam Clifford out wide. You're not gonna, I guess, put Kane Saunders out wide. And so that limits how much they can get on the field right then and there. But like, I mean, to, to his credit, you Dante Steve KLS around. Yes. If but it just depends what you're trying to do, right? Like that touchdown, yeah. KLS came from the slot. Like, yeah. do you feel as good about that ball if it's Liam Clifford? Probably not. So uh, you got to pick and choose your battles there. I, to, to Dante Cephas's credit, it seems like he has consistently done enough in practice where we're, we should expect to see Dante Cephas the rest of the year, I would assume. Um, but then like Malik McLean, Trey Wallace, Malik Mega, I don't know. Like I thought Omari Evans could probably play on the outside a little bit too, but we have no idea there. So there. I don't know, Sean. Like, I think Dante Sivas actually gets open quite a bit, and Jarrell doesn't throw him the football as much. That's just my two cents on it. I'll show a play on the interception where Dante Sivas is wide open. Um, I do think Caden Saunders should play more, but I just – where do you get him on the field? Where do you – like, if you have to choose between Liam Clifford and Caden Saunders, like, how do you find a way to get them both – it comes back to the same thing, right, Sean? If you're not converting on third down – how do you get the ball to all these people? And none of them are really jumping out at you and saying, feed me right now. So how do you how do you distribute the football? You want to get to your tight ends. You want to get it to your two running backs. Keandre Lambert-Smith definitely deserves, I think, at least 25%, 20% of the – how do you get it to everybody with also giving people chances to prove it at the same time? I don't know. Yeah, it's tough, and – we said going into the season in the summer, there's not a whole lot of length in this receiver room. They're all kind of different. A lot of them, not all of them, uh, but everybody outside of Wallace and McLean, they're all kind of different versions of the same guy. Like they're none of them are that big. They all have some speed, but they're not burners. So they're all just kind of different versions of the same and they're all there are several slot several guys that would really excel in the slot i think Dante Cephas would probably be best in the slot but you can't really put him there because you already have keandre lambert smith so it's 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 sort of it's sort of a mess <laughs> and um it is and i think Caden saunders like i don't think he's been as much of a, a burner as i think maybe they thought he was going to be 
No, I don't think so either. I, I, I mean, we haven't seen a ton of him on the field. I, I doubt he's any faster than Keandre Lambert Smith. And KLS isn't slow. He can take the top off the defense. I don't want to. Uh, we, we saw it, and we saw it in the Rose Bowl. I, I don't really think he's faster than him. I mean, not not based on what I've seen, but you're right. Like, he was supposed to be that guy, and, like, th- there's no K.J. Hamlers in this group or anything. Th- I don't even know if there's a Derek Williams. <laughs> so. Yeah. Carmelo Taylor played, by the way. Well, he's one guy, but eventually. I just wish he was a little bigger, but we could use him. Yeah, he was on the uh, all-hands team there at the end. That's his first game that he's played. Um, So he has three more before he could burn his red shirt. Kind of an interesting to have him out there for that, but what do I know? Um, Probably just put all your best hands. I guess. Well, what does that say about having him out there? That's true. Yeah, and that onside kick, too. That was a really nice job by the Indiana kicker. Like, that's yeah. exactly what you want. Warren just went up for it and got lit up. But yeah, that's that's what you want. He took a shot. He took a shot yeah. for sure. Um, and again, what does that say about Ty Warren being out there? Yeah, that's true. And he got knocked in the next week. I thought he I thought he was going to drop the ball. He got hit so hard. But I was like, phew, OK, he got it. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think receivers are an interesting one. We're going to talk a little bit about them on the film room, too. Um, Bo Perbila came into the game. But the game wasn't completely over yet to run out the clock. And Franklin was straight up like it's because we wanted all of our hats in the box to be able, you know, to, to partake in the play, basically, um, to to make those numbers a little bit better. We've said that on a show before, right? Football is not very complicated. Most of the time it's just a numbers game. Adding Bo Perbila when everyone knows you're going to run the football anyway is a good way to really make sure you get it. I think you only, what, ran one time for three yards. Um, but he was able to hand the ball off to Singleton, and who knows, maybe that one little second helped Singleton get in the hole and pick up that seven yards that put the game on ice. So, But he got in there, so we can check that box, Sean. And then Drew came in and kneeled down. Yeah, and I, I guess they're just more comfortable with him in victory formation. Right. I mean, I think thing. I'm not too surprised by that, right? Like, you know, you you if you're not practicing with the kneeling, you probably shouldn't be out there for the kneeling. I mean, even in, I would have to go back and look, but who, who did, did they ever, I don't even know if they ever did kneel at any of the other previous games. I think they just no, ran I don't clock. think we did. I think we just kept running because we like to cover the spread. Right. So, I think, cause I was like, I don't think Drew Allers <laughs> ever came back in to kneel it out. I don't think they've ever kneeled it out. No, I don't think so either. I think every play ended on a run yeah. or touchdown. Oh, yeah, West Virginia ended up. <laughs> I forgot about that. God, that West Virginia game seems like forever ago. Yeah, yeah. I did want to mention on offense, too, that they did go back under center for some play action looks, some other things like that. Again, they did. they did not go under center at all against Ohio State besides that one trick play. So they went to that play action boot that Sean Clifford ran a bunch. They went to that once. Um yeah, that was nice to see. I was happy. It didn't work out, but I was like, I like the granite. Yeah. Um, so the offensive line, and we had a question earlier about the offensive line. You know, I think they, Michael Fox asked a question a little bit ago. I think the offensive line has been better than previous years. Um, but last, 
Saturday was probably their worst game. Um, Hunter Norzad really struggled in pass protection. Sal Warmly really struggled in interior blocking. Vega was okay. I actually have one really good play. I probably, again, won't show it tonight, but it will be on Twitter tomorrow where Vega drives his guy into the ground. But all, you know, all things considered, they struggled a little bit, struggled to pick up some stunts. Um, just wasn't a that wasn't a dominating game for what they should have been able to do against Indiana. Um, wasn't like a bad game, but given the level of competition and comparison, that they probably should have played better than they did. And um, you know, Sal Warmly on that, on that T formation that they gave up or, or didn't convert on that linebacker went right through his gap. There's a couple plays where you know everyone's complaining about not running the T formation against Ohio State. Well, Ohio State got dom- you know Ohio State dominated Penn State's interior offensive line. Why would you run the T formation? You know you're getting dominated in inside when you can't hold up there. So, and then they they couldn't even do it against Indiana. So they couldn't do it against Indiana's interior front. What chance were they going to have against Ohio State's interior front? Yeah, I think things like maybe the QB sneak could have been useful in the T formation against Ohio State. But yeah, in general, like. And like I said earlier, the, they the, didn't have any fourth and ones against Ohio State. They had the one they we had punted. Some third and ones, but I think they maybe had one. They're mostly third and two, third three and threes. All right, maybe I, right. I can go count but, them for you. I have them all charted. But um, yeah, like they anyhow. Um, yeah, it's it hasn't been as automatic this year and. Really, since the Illinois game, I mean, it kind of got exposed a little bit uh, because in the end, it's still football, right? You still have to be able to put a hat on a hat and you still got to go and be able to move somebody. And that's something that this line in particular hasn't really done a great job at. They're good at engaging. They don't have as many um, as many tackles for loss as we as we noted before. Um, but it's just being able to move people. They really don't get much push. And they don't and get to the next level. No, they don't. I mean, they stay on one guy, and then the linebackers just come in and tackle Singleton and Allen. Singleton and Allen, they, they don't make – as soon as they get touched, they fall. And especially Singleton. Uh, but Al, Al, Allen has that problem, too, at times. Um so it's it's just been it, the the run game to me has been the most disappointing part of the season. Um, yeah, you know the passing game. Yeah, it's disappointing. It's also not incredibly surprising to me. It's first year quarterback. I did not believe in these receivers really coming into the season. Um, but this run game, I did believe in, and it hasn't hasn't lived up to the hype. I mean, when you're getting compared to uh, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards that backfield and neither one of you could get over 100 yards and the fourth string walk on running back has the longest run of the season I mean that's that that's just not it and that is not the way like that that and, and I tweeted something during the game and I still stand by this this looks like a nine-win football team right now. This does not look like a New Year's Six team to me, let alone a playoff team. This does not look like a team that's ways to win a New Year's Six game. 
Now, do I think they'll do I think they'll go nine three? I don't because the schedule is so soft, and we already played our third and fourth best teams on our schedule, in my opinion, and and we beat them to to our credit. But neither one of them are that great, and to me, we're just lucky that the West Coast teams aren't in the Big Ten this year because I think we beat SC. I don't think we beat Washington. And UCLA's toss-up. So, um, yeah, it's disappointing. Disappointing, especially because I really thought this was a real playoff contender. Oh, you went down a rabbit hole of pity. I kind of did. I kind of did. I kind of just got going on that. Part of me, and I think we have a question about this, right? But, like, how much of this Penn State team is not really ready to play Indiana and didn't get up for it? And, like, how much of this was they're going to – they play Indiana. The defense, before. for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, Penn State does have a better rushing offense than Alabama right now by, like, point five yards per carry. That makes you feel better. Well, I mean, they're not awful running them. I mean, I, I don't want to no. say that, but when you have zero explosion and everything is three yards in a cloud of dust, I mean, that's just not going to inspire a lot of confidence in me. No. Anything else yeah. on – or let's go film room next, Sean. How about that? Yeah, Be- yeah let's Before do we go to defense. Um, let me see here. All righty. Let's go to Drew's interception first. All right. So here's the interception. Third down and about eight. Indiana's going to bring the blitz. And actually picked up quite well, at least originally. Drowler throws off his back foot. It gets picked off. Nick Singleton actually does a good job picking up the the blitz as well. There appears to be, I'm not kidding you, three different open receivers during this play. I'm going to pause it right there. And there's the dig route and also the out route, corner route, whatever you want to call it by Keandre Lambert-Smith at the top of your screen. Dig route by Dante Sivas, number three, at the bottom of your screen. Those guys are both open. I'm not sure who Drew Aller is looking at right now. It looks like he's looking right at Dante Sivas. And so I'm not really sure why this ball doesn't come out right here, right now. There's nobody underneath he has to worry about maybe picking this thing off. I mean, this is as clean as it gets. It, It picks up the first down. Keandre Lambert Smith's wide open too, and he makes his guy, and he's got his guy stumbling over there. So, either way, this ball needed to come out. And this is what I was talking about that during the Ohio State game. Like, Dante Sebas beats his guy. Like, he is open, and Drew Aller does not want to throw the ball over the middle of the field. Kind of has some happy feet here, and then he throws off his back foot and it throws late over the middle, which is the last thing you want to do. And man, it was a duck. Um, I, there's not much more to say. This was not a good play. And like I'm not going to subscribe to the belief that 
like he threw this ball because he was anxious or like all of a sudden he's going to be better after this. But we'd have a question on that, Sean, fan question wise. But um, I mean, the receivers did their job. Two guys are wide open and we don't throw the football. So it's as simple as that. Disappointing. But Drew Aller had um, gone over 300 pass attempts for an interception, which is an awesome. That's the but, record. But that one was pretty bad. Yeah, it, it's he picked a real doozy to be his first interception. Um, yeah, I mean, you see guys get open um, again, like and some of them were pretty wide open. I mean, as wide open as you could be in uh, Big Ten play. Uh, but yeah, it was just a poor decision by Jarrell. And he hasn't had a lot of poor decisions this year, but. This is one of them that he just throws up there for grabs. And I really, Corey, it's one of those. I'm not even positive where he's throwing the ball. He just kind of tosses it up. And it's a bad look, bad look. But it's not about, as the great Rocky Balboa said, it's not about like how many times you get knocked down. It's about how many times you want to get back up. And Drew got back up and threw a touchdown pass two plays later. Yeah, we'll show that one in just a second. Um, want to show one more bad one first. So 14-7, Penn State's down third and about eight, uh, third and 11. Uh, and they're going to have Keandre Lambert-Smith wide open over the middle. Indiana comes with pressure. It's not picked up very well. But again, Drew Aller, not very good at his mechanics, throws off his back foot, throws that fadeaway pass. Should be caught for the first down anyway, but he really doesn't have that much pressure in his face. Like he, it's close, but he doesn't even get hit on this play. So he can 100% step into this throw. Chooses not to. If he drives his football, it might be a touchdown. If he has more time, it's definitely a touchdown. Keandre Lambert Smith needs to catch this pass, but again, you got to find a way to to throw drive into this football. Offense line needs to do a better job in pass protection too. But those mechanics right there, like, that's not what you want to see. Falling back, not following through, just just not good. That that first leg, front leg, doesn't look very good either. Uh, and it, it, you can even see there, Sean, do you see how he, like, his feet are noisy? You see it like that little, little hesitation step right there? And then yes. even after the throw, he still kind of, like, skips? Like, that's antsiness to a T and that's not what you want to see. Uh, but again, still should have been caught. It's amazing. He's able to throw a fadeaway pass like that and still get that much on it. Uh, but, but not a good play. We see things very similar, Corey, because I was going to say a similar thing about his touchdown pass. That was as confident as they've seen him throw the ball in the touchdown pass. But this one, you could usually tell when he's about to throw a bad pass by how his feet are. And here, bouncing, 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 back foot. Just not a good ball. Catchable ball should have been caught. Still a drop. You get two hands on it. Got to catch the ball. But I agree with you. If he steps into the, if he steps into it, he's going to get hit. But it's going to be a completion. And again, our line is something that they haven't done a good job with all year was picking up late blitzers. Uh, Vanga just doesn't pick anybody up he is late get he is uh he's late getting over do, doesn't end up blocking anybody and katron is yeah 
Katron's a little late on it too. So um, they have to, all three of them have to do a better, all four of them have to do a better job on that. And that's a touchdown. So not what you want. All right, let's talk good stuff here. Second and 20. We saw in the Ohio State game, Drew Aller rolled out of the pocket, didn't look over the middle of the field, ended up throwing a really dangerous pass to Trey Wallace. This time, has time in a pocket, creates more space. Again, decides to look back downfield before just taking off and running. I love that, that he does this. This time, he correctly looks over the middle of the field, and he's able to find Nick Singleton wide open for a huge gain. Don't know why Nick Singleton fell down there at the end, but this was good. This is the difference right here. Instead of panicking, comes down, and Singleton flashes wide open, and he's able to convert a big play there. So that, to me, was maturation. That, to me, was was a step in the right direction from what we saw just even a week ago. Yeah, I think this was his best throw of the game. So rolls out of the pocket. Uh, this is something that Sean Clifford took took him a few years to be able to do. Stops right at the line, keeps looking downfield. It's a dangerous pass, but he's got a big arm, trusts his arm, trusts Nick Singleton, and he fits it in there. So that's real. That 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 is that's good stuff right there. And we have to see more of it from Drew. And really, really happy with that. All right, Sean, I'll let you take this one. Yeah, so what's another thing we've been talking about a lot? Drew Aller being able to throw the ball over the middle and getting it to Theo Johnson. He does both of it. He does both of those things there. So they come with three They've come with three guys on the left side. He knows there's going to be one free blitzer. Does a good job moving to his right. Theo is open. He might have been able to lead him a little bit, but that's okay because he's thinking my guy has the height advantage. Theo's going to be able to come down with this with this pass, throws it up, lets this guy make a play. See what happens when you let your guy make a play. Trust, trust, trust your good players, and good things will happen. That's a good thing right there, and that's six points. Absolutely love it. I just wanted to mention, too, Olu kind of blocks two people here. Like He blocks that first guy. Let me see if I can... There you go. He blocks that first guy, and then... That guy goes back inside. He's actually able to, like, he doesn't block him, but he shields him and gives Drew just another little millisecond there. I don't think it would make a difference at the end of it all, but it was kind of funny that he was able to block basically two guys at once there. He, he chips them like I would JTT. No, no. <laughs> still, still wouldn't be able to do that. Um, that not any, All right, let's go to the touchdown. I'm just ignore that comment. Um, okay. Penn State. Tie football game just converted. It's first and ten. Love that they took a shot here right around the 40th yard line. I think it's a good opportunity. You don't have to worry about the defense kind of playing on a shorter field. Plenty of plenty of chances to just let Drew go out and throw a bomb. But what I really want people to pay attention to is Keandre Lambert Smith is in a slot here. And they ran this play at least twice against Ohio State. And Drew Aller never even looked at Keandre Lambert-Smith. Now, just a friendly reminder, the ball is on the left hash. He's about to throw this ball past the numbers on the far side of the field. I don't think people realize how far of a throw this is for Drew Aller from the left hash all the way to the hash marks 
on the out of bounds. He throws his ball from the 35 yard line all the way to the 16 outside the numbers. Like that is a far, far, far throw. Um, and he makes it look pretty simple. But what I wanted to really people to understand is they've ran this play before, and Drew Aller, with time, with good mechanics, makes a fantastic throw. Another thing to keep in mind on this throw is Keandre Lambert-Smith gives himself room. A lot of time wide receivers on this play run towards the sideline too soon, and they actually the ball ends up being out of bounds. You see if Keandre Lambert-Smith there, he actually – stays at the numbers. So that gives them all the space to drift to the sideline to make that catch and also stay in balance and score. So fantastic route by Keandre Lambert-Smith, fantastic ball placement, and it's simple as that. So just all around fantastic job. But I, I don't want people to understand that, A, it was good recognition, B, it was a great route, and C, like Drew Aller threw that, threw that ball a long distance and put it right in the money, dropped it right in the bucket. Yeah, it's a dot. It's a dot. And look, KLS, like you said, runs a great route. He doesn't have like six yards on the guy. Like quarterback does a decent job or, or safety. I don't I don't know which one. I think it's a corner. Does a good job staying with him. But Drew puts it right where he needs to put it. KLS does a good job uh, not only of catching the ball, recognizing the ball, but having good body control not to go out of bounds and has a tightrope for 10 yards, which is very, very difficult to do, especially when you got a when you got a guy chasing you. And it's just a it's just a perfect play. And I went nuts, not even gonna lie. I mean, I was it, it I know it's Indiana. I still it was it was great, it was great to see. Um and you know, you know, Corey, I said to Mike. Uh, you've seen Back to the Future, right? Kind of. I think this is his George McFly moment where he punches Biff. <laughs> I think this might be the play. Um, and for all you Back to the Future fans, you know what I mean. Uh, Drew just, I think this might be where he becomes a man. I think this is it. You know, we have a question on that, so I'm going to wait on that yes. comment. Uh, there you go, Sean. Much better. I got you. I'm learning this thing. Um, two years. Yeah, I'm going to hold off on my comment on that, but okay. because I, well, I tweeted that thing. We'll just hold off on that for now. I'll right. get to it in a second. Uh, let's talk defense. Um, they gave up three big plays. They didn't look like they were really there. There's some miscommunication that hadn't really shown up or other teams haven't maybe taken advantage of yet. Those are going to happen. I'm kind of glad this happened against Indiana instead of Ohio State. Um, and it's kind of funny, though, that like Indiana scored more points than Ohio State, and they are at Beaver Stadium. I think that's kind of funny. Like, for as good as Marvin Harrison Jr. is, like, it's just funny in hindsight uh, that that went down the way it did. But um, the defense just, just wasn't as enthusiastic, Sean. I feel like they weren't playing as downhill. They didn't seem as aggressive. They just didn't seem to really be there. And that could be for a lot of different reasons. I think they really um, were were upset or got kind of uh, – they were the victim of the hangover, I think, more than the offense. 
You're muted. I agree with you. Uh, you're not going to play at an elite level every single week. It's it's a lot to ask. Georgia did not play at an elite level every single week the last two seasons on defense. It's 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 a hard thing to do, especially to stay focused after you take a tough loss against Ohio State. And you don't have your best player on defense in Chop Robinson. And I think Chop was missed in pass rush uh, because there were a lot of times where Soresby had all day to throw. And I think the first couple sacks of the game were from Johnny Dixon and Daquan Hardy. So the ends just weren't uh, providing as much pressure. D. Isaac made some plays. DDS put the game on ice. Uh, so when we needed them, they came through. But it was it was a struggle getting a pass rush on Soresby. And we uh, we missed Chop. There's no question about it. Um, and then the secondary had by far its worst game of, of the season uh, with the two with the two long uh, touchdowns that we're going to get into here. Yeah, you know, we just go there now. Um, Shoresby, I thought was good. He was able to make plays enough. He's had enough wiggle to make plays too, and keep the defense kind of guessing a little bit in that sense. They had some big, you know, we knew they had some big running backs. We thought they were going to try to run it inside on Penn State, and they did have some success. Um, their best runs came on situations where Penn State thought they were going to throw it. Uh, they got burned really bad on, like, I think two of them where our linebackers were literally running the wrong direction because they were bailing to their passing assignments, and it was a run, and it just didn't work out very well. Um, but they had some success running the ball. I think they ended up with 80 yards rushing, so nothing crazy. But that one drive, they were able to sustain some running game that that helped them out and kept things, kept Penn State's defense a little bit more honest. Uh, but but nothing, in a, you know, they weren't, in, you know, uh, just dominating in the trenches or anything by that by that stretch or anything like that. Um, you know, the, the passing plays, look, the one just complete, in utter miscommunication. Dixon was, came on the blitz. Curtis Jacobs also came on a blitz. Somebody was supposed to cover that guy. Nobody covered him wide open. The other one, a little bit more of a gotcha moment. Indiana ran that fake bubble screen, fake wing pass screen action there. Both receivers go out and chop their feet like they're going to block. And then they both end up running down the field on go routes. Zaki Wheatley burned bad. Actually, if you look at the one replay, you can actually Zaki Wheatley's head go inside and look into the backfield to see if it's a screen or whatever else. And as soon as his head turns, the guy goes. And it was a good throw and a good catch. I think they got away with the block in the back on Cam Miller there, but what are you going to do about it? But, uh, yeah, that, that was a... Uh, a good play call because Penn State's been so aggressive against the screens and then fantastic execution. Yeah, yeah, they, they got us. Uh no other way to put it. Uh they they caught uh caught Saki Wheatley with his hand in the cookie jar a little bit. Um, but what are you gonna do? Um and then the other one, yeah, I just don't think the safety rotated. I think it was Reed. I think he had to rotate over and didn't happen. So uh, that's a miscommunication. Uh, as Corey pointed out earlier in the show, and, and it is true, uh, if you take those two plays out, they only scored ten points. And the other one was a pretty was a pretty lengthy touchdown as well, the twenty six yarders. So 
I didn't think that, I still don't think the defense played that great, uh, especially no. run defense. Um, something that uh, our friend, our friend, and I observed. Um, Abdul Carter did not feel well. Like he was backing up at times. He's not, and th- this has been something that has happened a lot with him this year. He hasn't been attacking this year like he had been, and I don't know why that is. But it just doesn't feel like he's playing as free this year and attacking. And I don't really understand it because he that, that that's what he did best last year. And while I do think he's improved in pass coverage um, in the run game and getting after the quarterback, it's just not the same guy this year. And I hope he could, you know, I hope he could get back to it. And maybe it's just a sophomore slump. But. Um, it's been, it's been discouraging. Um, yeah. No, I, Bill Carter had a bad game again. I will show some on the film room tomorrow on Twitter. Just not a good game again. Uh, if you're curious, he had that one interception against Illinois right now, 28 total tackles, only two TFLs on the air, Sean. So he, exactly you said, he's not flowing. He's not attack. He's not getting in the backfield nearly as much. Um, three quarterback hurries to add to that. So, yeah, I think he had all that before, like, or after the Auburn game last year. So just, yeah, just, and- just not where he is. Like, I can show you. He had just if you're curious, had ten and a half TFLs last year in thirteen games. Again, two so far this year. Yeah, and he led the team in sacks last year. So it's he's. I mean, he went from. I, I really thought he was going to be an All American candidate this year, and He'd be lucky to be honorable mention all day 10, the way he's been. Yeah. And um, I think he has the ability. It's just it's not happening for him. Um, I, I don't I think – I was just saying, I don't, I don't think King played a bad game. I, I yeah. thought he played well against Ohio State. I thought he played okay against Indiana. Um, very clearly, though, that he's the starter now. Like he, He's playing better than he was – He's really grown a lot this year. I think he's progressed really well. Um, Curtis Jacobs played okay. Nothing crazy there. You know, the, the he's doing fine. I don't. He's not a game changer. I don't think, but he is somebody you can count on to to make the plays. But you kind of want Abdul Carter to be your splash guy, especially since he's playing on that on that side where he can kind of free you know play a little bit more freely. Um, just haven't seen it very much lately. Uh, I wanted to say, Sean, since we kind of went to the, I want to talk safeties real quick. I think it's very clear that Jalen Reed and uh, KJ Winston Jr. are, are your starting safeties at this point. Uh, Zaki Wheatley only played that one snap that he got burned on. Didn't come back in defensively. And then, uh, and I think Keaton Ellis maybe, don't quote me on this, was around, I think he maybe had like 20 snaps, 19 snaps-ish. So you, those are your two starting safeties. I think you, we didn't know where that was going to end up. We had a pretty good idea when Winston started right off the bat. But through seven games, those are your starting safeties. And to that point, I thought the defensive tackles played really well. And... Devon Ellis and Zane Durant outsnapped Hakeem Beeman and everyone else. So, I and when 
after the interception, Sean, it was Devon Ellis and Zane Durant who came out when the Penn State defense really needed to stop when Indiana had the ball down 21-24, whatever that tells you. So it sounds like Penn State, at least at this point, has knows who their safeties are and knows who their defensive tackles are. Now, they're all going to rotate still, but it's nice to think to have a definitive idea of who your starters are at those positions. Yeah, that was something really up till Ohio State we didn't know, uh, especially at the defensive tackle because we play so many different guys. Safety we kind of knew because we had the same two guys starting every week, but now it's more definitive. Like, yeah, these are the guys, and uh, and, and and same thing with D tackle. Um, I I just think I think Xander and Devon Ellis complement each other so so well. I mean. Durant's your speed guy, and then Devon Ellis, he's your biggest guy you got, uh, more of a run stuffer. Um, and he he's kind of playing that PJ Mustafer role a little bit this year. And I, I think he's done well. I think they're they both had good seasons. Um Ellie's had a really good play where he soaked up a double team and just did a fantastic let let Kobe King fly freely to the football. Ellie's did a fantastic job. Not going to show up on a stat book, but he took that guard in, didn't let that guard get to King, and King was able to – didn't even make the play, but he he bumped the running back out, TFL, big play. And Durant, again, had a really good game. And that's a lot of what you want from a defensive tackle. Uh, defensive tackles, they're, one of their main jobs is to get in the way and clog up space and let your linebackers eat. And – that's what Devon Ellis does. That's what PJ Mustafer did for four years at Penn State. And uh, of course, you want to be able to make some plays too, and he does. Uh, but just being able to take up that space, letting your and letting your linebackers fly, especially when you have as good of linebackers as Penn State does. And I think all season, the defensive line in general has been very selfless, and they've just been guys that are bought into the system. And that they've all flourished. I've been very impressed with Deion Barnes this year. Uh, I think all of the defensive linemen have taken a step. And that's a that's a big credit to him. Uh, Devon Ellis has been here a long time. And he has not played at the level that he's played at this season. And Zane Durant's coming along. DDS, I think we talked about Drew Aller becoming a man. DDS became a man on that. He might have became a man himself on that uh, on that. Uh, clinching play. Uh, Desai is playing his best football. Chop Robinson's playing his best football. So big, big, big uh, props to Deion Barnes this offseason in developing these guys. Yeah, yeah, no. Deny Dennis Sutton got that sack. The commentator said it was against left tackle, but it was like the H-back who was going up against, which Indiana deciding to block Deny Dennis Sutton on one of the bigger plays of the game with their H-back is a lesson they probably won't forget. Um, that's just inexcusable at that point. Just, yeah. just completely inexcusable. Indiana down the stretch had a few times that were had Yeah, you know, I get like people getting mad at Tom Allen for not throwing at least one bomb to the end zone after the interception. Uh, you know, that RPO on that first down play was there. If he throws that ball out to the flat and he hands it off for whatever reason, I don't know if he got nervous or what, but. They like they didn't just run the ball up the middle three times. I know that's what it looked like, but they ran two RPOs in a row. The second RPO, Penn State covered really well the little bubble that they wanted to throw out wide, so they did hand it off. And then I think they did get certain conservative on that third down play. But I get like 
if that RPO isn't aggressive enough, if you wanted to take a shot, like you can argue that. But I maybe I just want to defend Tom Allen a little bit. Like it wasn't like he just said up the middle, up the middle, up the middle field goal, even though it looked that way. But I can also understand that people are like, I want to see him take a shot anyway. So yeah, I thought they shouldn't take taking a shot. I think you know you have the sword and the dragon is there. You have to slay the dragon. You have to do it then. <laughs> and you don't just put it down and go, well, I'm going to take my chances later. No, man, you, you have to go for it. And uh, you have to take at least one shot there. Now, if you throw two incompletions, okay, you hand it off on third down. I understand kind of playing for the tie then. Or, See, or, you, run the ball on, or you run the ball on first or second down, then you take two other shots. I, yeah. I think you got to go to the end zone at least once, though. Well, I think Tom Allen was trying to run out the clock at the same time. I think he was literally saying, hey, we can Maybe. use this drive. We just because they had just ran the ball really well in the last drive. And so they're probably thinking we run out this clock, get in the end zone games over. Worst case, we kick a field goal, go to overtime. But they were probably thinking in their head, let's not give this Penn State offense another chance to figure out how to play football. And they did. And that's exactly what happened. So. I get it, but they were running the ball in that second half a lot better, but yeah. Yeah, and that's really when, to credit our defense, that's when our defense woke up. I think it took until then. And, you know, the defense, when we needed them, they came through. I mean, that sudden change, something that they really haven't dealt with much this season. Uh, First interception they've ever come on the field for this season, and they handled it perfectly. And they didn't give up anything to Indiana. They surrendered the field goal, but they're already in field goal range. You want to hear a um, funny stat? Yeah, let's hear it. So because technically that last play was a safety, on Indiana's last two drives, they went negative 21 yards and obviously gave up two points. Um, Yeah. I guess they kicked a field goal, so I guess they got one point. Um, they m- netted one point. They actually had a three and out on the previous drive too. So the touchdown, good touchdown drive, was two before the inter- two before the field goal. So really, yeah. their last three drives, they went seven plays for negative twelve yards and one point. You know, if we scored a touchdown on that play where we got the safety, it would have been pretty much identical to the 2016 Indiana game. Because you remember who scored that? Torrance Brown? Yeah, I think it was Torrance Brown. Good job. Yeah. I'm useless bank of knowledge. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it would have been because I think we only won by two touchdowns. It was the same type of thing. We didn't play well the whole day. Bloomington's a weird place to play. And we still ended up winning by two touchdowns. Um, this one we only won by nine, but would have been identical to that. The only other person I think we forgot to mention on the injuries was the mean Vanover. Yeah, he didn't play. He didn't play either. So what was interesting to me was Jamil Lyons only played four snaps with Chop Robinson and Amin Vanover out, which I thought was very surprising to me. He's played more than that at times. He's played four games now, Sean. West Virginia, he had one snap. In Indiana, he had four snaps. So they must not be worried about his burning his red shirt because if you're going to play him, you want to play him more than just one and four snaps. So expect that to get burned here soon. But kind of interesting because going into the year, we didn't we thought he was probably more of a yellow light. And, you know, we are halfway through the year. 
He's had four games. It's it just kind of interesting to me that he didn't see, ha, hasn't seen more playing time when he is a go, I guess, especially makes, with those other two guys out. That makes me think he's only a three-year guy. So they must be thinking he's going to be leaving after his junior year, which is a good sign. You know, so they must yeah. really think they got something there with them. I think he's got some good stature. I think he's he's a faster mean Vanover, I think. Yeah, yeah, that, that could be a good comp. I mean, he just he gets after the quarterback and he's big, too. He's not like uh, like shock, like Shaka. Shaka Tony was skinny. Yeah, he could just get after the quarterback since his freshman year. Jamil Lyons has a better build than Shaka. So and I think he's bigger than Arnold Abikady. Similar size, probably. Like, AK was bigger than Shaka Tony, too. And that's why he's probably going to make a lot of money in the NFL. But same kind of thing. Like, some guys just have a knack for getting after the quarterback. Any other thoughts from... The only other thought I had, Sean, Um, was soft coverage um, by the corners. Yeah, we were thinking the same thing. Uh, yeah, I didn't understand that. It felt like every third down went a soft coverage. And, I, you know, we we kept saying to each other, like, they're going to pick this up again. Because we. why don't you just play? You have – your corners are way better than their receivers. And I know they burnt us twice. But in general, they're way better. Play up on them. Make them beat you. And if they beat you, they beat you. I didn't understand that at all. Just take their space away from them. Um. I, I I don't mean to question Manny, but I just disagreed, and <laughs> I kind of got proven right because they kept they, they 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 were just like all right they're giving us this cushion throw it out there credit Sorsby more times than not he was able to complete those passes. Um, also, Kalen King did not play well, and part of that could be with that soft coverage. Um, but yeah. it was again not a not a good Kalen King game and. I worry he's going to slip in the second round. Yeah, he's going to have to make up some ground here. He's got to have he's a good, have good November. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Michigan is his chance. If he could do a good job against Roman Wilson, it's going to make a big difference. Arnold Ebicati, six foot three, two fifty six, when he was at Penn State. Jamil Lyons, six foot five, two forty six. So similar weight, but Lyons is even taller. Yeah, he's taller. Six yeah. foot five, a defensive end. Like you're talking like. Evan Schwan comparisons now. Evan <laughs> Schwan. <laughs> Wasn't he 6'6? Six, six? Is that tall? I think he was. <laughs> I don't remember how tall Evan Schwan was. He is a damn pencil when he first got to Penn State. He was. He ended up getting bigger. Six foot six, two sixty-three. How about that? Maybe just remember random things about random pet state players. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is about being. That's the only like criteria to join the hardcore Penn State football <laughs> podcast. Like, can you, know, you do you, facts? You just have a random knowledge about somebody that nobody would dare even ask, even at like a Penn State bar trivia. Like Adam Brenneman was once offered by PJ Fleck at Rutgers. He was very impressed by that, dude. He, he was. <laughs> I think. Uh, He's got a contract extension with that. I think so. You're welcome, Corey. Um, special teams, Sean. I have a couple points. I'm just going to reel them off quickly. Um, 
Shout out to Winston for recovering the muff punt. How many like muff punt things have we had this year? It's been kind of crazy. Riley punts a tough ball to field. You think that you think that's what's going on there? Maybe because it does kind of come in fast. Um, but he and maybe it's hard to handle. I don't know. I would love to see you catch a punt from Riley Thompson. Would not be able to. No way. Be awesome. I could uh, ship, he, I could ship, but I can't do that. Yeah, the chip. Uh, forty-nine yards per punt, long of fifty-four, two inside the twenty. So Riley Tompkins done fantastic job this year. Um, Falcons nailed a fifty-yarder. I know he, well, he missed the fifty-one. I think made a fifty-yarder, um, big one before the half. I mean, got the Absolutely. momentum. Um, I think Audrey Snyder said something like, "If he doesn't make that field goal, like the team probably gets booed going into halftime." <laughs> so yeah. Um, then they didn't. They didn't. Anyway, <laughs> they didn't give up the lead uh, after that. So big time kick there. Um, Trey Potts replaced Katron Allen on the kickoff, and Daquan Hardy had a punt return for a touchdown. But it was called back because of a different Dinkins blocking the back penalty. Yeah, and live I couldn't really tell. Like when I went back and watched, it, it was a legit block in the back. So. Yeah, I think it was. And I, I don't think, even think he needed to do it. I think Dick Hardy was going to beat the guy, you know? Yeah. I think, because he he was like a bullet run on the ball. <laughs> um, like he was. He broke like three, four tackles. Yeah, I mean, man, oh man, he is good. <laughs> he is good at that. So at first, like after the Ohio State game, because that was a big play that he messed up on. Yeah. I was wondering, like, do they go back to Saunders, but. I mean, if he is that level, he's yeah, theoretically taken three touchdowns back in what three games now? Like, yeah, yeah, you gotta play him, and you'll take a mistake here and there. Uh, he's just that juice is worth the squeeze. Uh, Nick Singleton too <laughs> had a had a had a nice had a nice return. So, if we could get something from the return game here, I mean that that could be significant down the stretch here if we want to do the things that we want to do here. Um, special teams could win or could win you a game. Uh, we've seen it here before. Singing a different tune about special teams than maybe a month ago, Sean. Oh, I am. They're way better. I mean, we're actually like Falcons. I knock on wood. I trust. I mean, as much as I could trust the college kicker, I don't. But I mean, he's hasn't missed inside of 40. Knock on wood. Yeah. And he could he could hit him from 50. You're not going to hit every kick from 50 yards. College kid ain't going to do that. But if you could if you have the ability to hit some. That's all you really need. And Riley Thompson, I think, has improved quite a bit from the start of the season. Um, He was never terrible or anything like that, but he's he's gotten better. So. Uh, Stacy. Nice job. Ready for some fan questions? See I think we have like five or six tonight, so we'll have to hang on to them for so long. Um, people on YouTube, let us know what your thoughts are on these questions as we go through. First question here is from Jerry. Was the Indiana game performance the result of an emotional and or mental letdown following Ohio State, or did the Buckeyes just show everyone how to defeat Penn State? And I guess I can answer this quickly, Sean. Offensively, yes, that it was a little bit of a blueprint on how to beat Penn State. Make Drew Aller beat you. Don't give up the big run play. And they did that for a lot of the game until the very end if you're Indiana. But I think 
emotionally mental letdown, even with the student section, uh, was fairly obvious on the defensive side of things. So I think first part of your question, defense. Second part of your question, offense. Yeah, and I think we think pretty similar. Um, defense, for sure, there's a bit of a letdown. Uh, offense kind of looked like themselves, so I can't really say it was a letdown necessarily. <laughs> Uh, that's just kind of how they, as a matter of fact, they look, they look better than they did uh, against Ohio State, certainly, but probably Illinois and Northwestern as well. So, um, but on defense for sure. Yeah. Uh, and as far as Ohio State showing everyone how to beat us, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they certainly did. And thankfully, Drew Aller was able to go and win that game. And you're probably going to see a similar tactic employed by, um, the team that lost to Northwestern this past Saturday, the Maryland Terrapins. Yeah, and you know, Drew Aller played better, and it wouldn't have mattered who the opponent was as far as how he played better. Like he he did play better from a decision standpoint. I know he had a pick, right? Which makes you think, how could he possibly play better? But there's more than just that one play. He did he did look over the middle of the field more. He did throw with a little bit more anticipation. He did scramble on that one and find Singleton. So he did some good things. Um, it wasn't like a full turnaround by any stretch. Still got some work to do. But it, it was a step in the right direction. I, the title of this episode is Coming of Age. Well, we'll get to hit more Drew Aller in a second. But thank you, Jerry, for the question. Uh, D.A. Adam. On YouTube says 85% letdown, 15% blueprint. Our athletes should have won this, even if Indiana had the blueprint. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this is the question I wanted to go with next. Yeah, we can go with this one next. Why not? This question is from Chris. Based on the season thus far, how concerned about this team are you? Do you think we have ways to go before we're elite? Or do you think we're forever destined to be forever third place in the Big Ten? Just deep. Yeah. Might if I do first? Uh, I figured you would want to go first. Right. Uh, so, no, we're not destined to be third because USC, Oregon, Washington, UCLA are coming. Uh, no, that's a smart-ass answer. Um, no. Um, I think the question is, are we forever destined to be behind Michigan and Ohio State? And I mean, forever, forever is a very long time, as Prince once said. Um, but I mean, I think you do have to wonder, can James Franklin eventually beat elite teams? And I mean, his record speaks for itself. We haven't beaten a top 10 team on the road at all. Under, under James Franklin. And you have to wonder how long is that going to be a thing? And when you're at a place for nine, 10 years, um, eventually it comes time to go and do that. And he hasn't shown the ability to get that done. And he's going to have to if we're going to get into that elite echelon of teams. Um so to answer the question, are we forever destined to be behind them? No, no. Uh, but are we ever going to be an elite program under James Franklin? I have real doubts because you have to be able to go and beat really good teams on the road, elite teams on the road once in a while. 
Uh, how concerned am I about this team? Um, like I said, like I said earlier, I mean, I think if we had a tougher schedule, this is a nine-win team because they're flawed. They, they're off. This offense is very, very bad at times. Very bad. Um, unless maybe that that touchdown by Drew Aller, maybe that woke them up, and maybe that was the 2016 Minnesota moment that they needed. Maybe. Uh, but if it's not, yeah, this is going to be a team that, in my mind, is going to get beat by Michigan by multiple scores. And I don't know if they beat a good team in the bowl game. So that's my honest assessment right now. Only thing I'll add to that is I think Ben Jones had a decent point that, you know, Penn State has a better team than they had, say, five years ago. But just because you have a better team doesn't guarantee that you're then going to just win all those games, right? Like, you're not going to just go beat Ohio State and beat Michigan just because you have a better team than you had five years ago. Frankly, Ohio State and Michigan don't care if your team's a little bit better than they were five years ago. You still got to go beat them. No one's going to give you a, you know. Yeah, Michigan's better than they were, too. Right. No one's (laughs) going to give you the Big Ten trophy just because your team improved. And that's just not how it works. So congratulations on getting a better team. Congratulations on better depth. It doesn't mean it's going to be handed to you. I, the odds at which you have to beat those teams have improved. I think everyone can agree with that. Like we have a better chance of beating Ohio State and Michigan this year than we did last year or even the year before. That doesn't mean we get to just go beat them. Like That's just not how that works. Um, I will say this, though. You do need to find a way to beat them sometimes. It's not good enough to say that, okay, our chances got better. You do need to find a way to beat those teams sometimes, and they haven't been able to really do that um, for quite some time. So I, I think it's warranted. I will say this. Penn State hasn't even faced Michigan this year. So I, I think let's just – I know what the the vibe is right now for that game. But at least let me – I'm going to at least kick that can down the road a little bit. Are you so optimistic? I love it. Try to be. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, this question here is from Dr. Snyder. Uh, what is the main problem with the passing game? The receivers, the O-line, non-solving the proper scheme for the pro-stock quarterback? I want to start with the first part. I'd Or the last part. The scheme is not the issue. Like, people think that we're running, like, the same thing we ran with, like, Trace McSorley or even what we're running with Sean Clifford, like we're not running the same thing. It's, it's just, we're not. So everyone's like, oh, James Franklin has to have a mobile quarterback to be successful. Well, first of all, in the college football world, you are more likely to have a successful offense if your quarterback can throw a bomb and also run. It Like you're going to choose that nine times out of 10. Every quarterback that's pretty much won a national championship lately has had some wiggle. Joe Burrow is probably the only one that had like just a little bit of wiggle, but even he could run. So you need to have some sort of ability to run the ball. This pro style, like I, that's not the problem. Like I don't know if people even understand what pro style means anymore, but that that's not the issue there. Like, do you want them to go run like Matt Canada pit offense back in the day? Like that's what you want to see. Like that's not the issue. Um, Mike Yersich has had success with passing quarterbacks that couldn't run the ball when he was at Oklahoma State and other places. 
I'm not worried about them schematically giving Drew Aller a chance to succeed. I do think a lot of the issues is revolving around those other things. Quarterback, receivers, offensive line. People are going to argue the percentage at which it's quarterback's fault, receiver's fault, offensive line's fault. Honestly, I think there has been a lot of bad timing where the receiver runs a good route and they don't have very good protection. Or Bear is very good protection and the receiver runs a good route, but Drew Aller doesn't see him. Or the offensive line gives good protection, Drew Aller's looking, but that guy doesn't get open, or it's not a good throw. Whatever they get, like there have been times where those three things don't work out, and you need all of them to be successful, and and that stinks. But I'm not going to subscribe to the belief that the scheme is incorrect right now for Drew Aller when I see wide open receivers, and he hasn't consistently even thrown the ball, let alone throw a good ball. Yeah. Um... Main problem with the passing game. I think it's a lot of trust. I mean, I don't think Drew Aller trusts the receivers. I don't know how much this offensive staff trusts the receivers or maybe even the quarterback. And so trust is a big problem. As far as the scheme goes, I mean, Drew has Drew talked about this on AB's pod. When teams were trying to offered Drew Aller late, like Drew was a late bloomer. And, you know, the elite teams in the country were coming after him. One of the top things they said was James Franklin can't develop a quarterback. Now, I I think that's a little flawed, uh, but it it's complicated, right? Um all three of uh James Franklin's quarterbacks got drafted. And there are a lot of, you know, that you a, a, not every quarterback gets drafted, not every team um, has three quarterbacks in the last 10 years that's gotten drafted, and James Franklin's did. Uh, but I think they point at, um, you know, um, yeah, and not, at, not everybody has that. So I kind of lost my train of thought. Um, but Drew has to be has to be more decisive, has to trust his guys more. And they got to be able to just go and make plays. They have to be able to use the middle of the field, which they don't. Uh, what they did a little bit more against Indiana, but they got to do it more. And they got to be able to take shots, or this offense is going to look like a high school offense. So I think it's more just trusting your guys to be able to go and make plays. Yeah, and can't really let them. You can't really instill trust in them without giving them a chance to prove it. Gotta, you gotta throw the ball, give them a chance. Um, okay, this is the one, Sean. Will Gamble says, I think that interception changed Drew in a good way. He legitimately looked more relaxed and looked down the field like he did in the West Virginia game. Do you think that interception will be a turning point for Drew Aller? And I had a tweet about this from after the game where I tried to sum up how I felt about it. Because I knew everybody was going to talk about this um, pretty much forever, especially if it comes to be true. So, um, I, Sean, I'll, I'll find my thing first, but what are your first thoughts on this? Uh, like I said earlier, it 
could be his George McFly moment where he's finally becomes a man. And, uh, you know, there, there, there are two ways to look at the whole game and to look at Drew specifically. There's the glass half empty way. We'll start with that. That was just like Illinois in 2021, except we found a way to squeak it out late. But it just shows you who this team is. They're not very good. They're a far cry from where we thought they were three weeks ago. That's one way to look at it. And it's valid. And it could very well be the case. Another way to look at it is, this is like the 2016 Minnesota game. And all they needed was a pass over the middle to Urban Charles, who I think that was his one and only catch in his whole career at Penn State. He's low-key in the NFL still. Um, And everything magically started working. What's the answer? Well, probably neither. Probably somewhere in the middle, because no two seasons are alike, of course. Uh, But when you watch football for as long as Corey and I have, and I know some of you have about 30 years on us, but we've been watching a long time ourselves, you start to draw parallels from previous years. And I felt the combination of both on Saturday. Watching the game live, it felt like the Illinois game. But then leaving the stadium, I felt a lot like I did leaving the Minnesota game in 2016. And that I was like, all right, well, we didn't play that great, but it was an exciting end and we won the game. And you got to be happy about that. And I didn't know where we were going to go from there, but it was all up from there. And you know something else, Corey? Just a funny parallel from the Minnesota game. Who did we play after the Minnesota game? A lot of people think we played Ohio State. We did not. There was a Mar- game in between. Was it Maryland? Played the Maryland Terrapins. Who did we play this week? Maryland Terrapins. And who did we play right after we played Ohio State? Now the big bully on the block is Michigan. At home. So maybe some parallels there. Like I said, I'm not going to blow smoke up your ends either and tell you I feel great about the Michigan game now. But if we go out and look good against Maryland, I'll feel a little better. I'll give you that. And I'll be thinking maybe it's maybe it's leaning toward the Minnesota game in 2016. So to answer your question directly, it's very possible that that interception was a turning point. And maybe he'll play a little more loosey-goosey now in a good way. Yeah, and my tweet was that the coincidence of Drew Aller's first interception coming before his first big-time touchdown in crunch time will forever make people think that he just needed to get out of the get out of the way. Hard to really believe that, but it's impossible to disprove it too. And I will say this, like he had some good plays before that and he obviously had some big plays after that. It it doesn't even have to be that anything changed cuz he said after the game that like nothing changed in his mind or anything. But or it's to be a turning point doesn't mean anything actually had to change. It could just literally mean things get better, right? Like you were tied with Indiana 24-24. You go win a national championship. You were going to go back to that play, whether things actually changed or not. You were going to say that was the turning point. So turning point versus the difference in what Drew Aller's psyche are kind of two different questions there. I think Drew Aller is going to make more mistakes, and I think he's going to still struggle to do some of the things that we've pointed out. But I I will say that confidence is, is a hell of a drug. And if you want any chance of beating Michigan in two weeks, 
you got to have Drew Aller as confident as he's been. And this is a good first stepping stone in that direction. So Maryland going to have to build on that. You can get Drew Aller to throw like four touchdown passes and like 400 yards of offense at Maryland. You got to feel pretty good going into Michigan. But that's really what you're trying to do at this point. Fix a couple things here and there. Continue to get better. Don't have any major setbacks. And continue to gain confidence in your young quarterback. That's it. That's it. I couldn't agree more with you, Corey. Damn right. Um, all right. This question they had some typos in this question, so um, just ignore some of this. I yeah, I don't know exactly what Todd's trying to say for some of this, but uh, he says expectations are crazy. Um, I was looking forward to Drew Aller in year two. Um, but really, I wanted to start on this one point. At what point did it become national championship or bust in 2023-2024? And, and that's the only part I want to focus on, because the next sentence doesn't make any sense at all. Um, from I don't even know what that means. But uh, I want to focus on that part, Sean, right? Like, now that we've seen Drew Aller through seven games, eight games? How many games have we played? Uh... Eight? Eight, yeah. Eight. Right? You think that those expectations of Natty or Bust, which I'm not saying you ever had Natty or Bust, but that it needed to be done before he leaves, like, were those fair expectations? Um, Natty or Bust is strong. Strong. Um, But I think among the fan base... I mean, guys, we haven't won a national championship here since 1986. There are people who have waited uh, either their whole life or they've waited almost 40 years to win a national championship. So these fans are kind of starved for a national championship. And I think, you know, you see a five-star quarterback come in and you have uh, some really great talent around him. You have one of the best defenses in the country. So I think expectations or hopes, hopes certainly for national championships. I don't think it's unreasonable. Um, did I look at this team and think we were going to win a national championship to start the year? No, no, I had too many question marks to be able to say that. Um, and a lot of those question marks are valid question marks. Um, but I understood hoping for one. I thought it was a legitimate hope. Like, if you go back and watch us last year, if you were following along last year, I never even spoke about national championships going into the 2022 season. Ever. Never, never. Uh, looked at that team. I just didn't think they had it. This team, I thought, had a shot. And I, I, I'm always honest with you guys, I, I don't believe this is a national championship team. Just... I don't see it after watching the past couple weeks. Um, but I didn't think I but to answer the question directly, no, I don't think it should have ever been national championship or bust, but I understand the I understand the restlessness too. Yeah, I don't have anything to add there. Uh DA Adam about that last question though. I had a good point. He said, I'll buy winning a close game can be a catalyst for a team. And Drew connecting on a huge throw is a huge confidence boost. But throwing a pick as a catalyst is an absurd analogy. I'll die on this hill. I think that's a good point. Like The touchdown is the real catalyst. Right. Yeah. 
I think that might have been the real catalyst. Although maybe maybe it was a, a, a mental block. Maybe it was a mental thing for him. Who knows? It it probably did do this. It showed him, hey, I could make a mistake and still go win the game. And his inner Sean Clifford really came out in the last four minutes like, all right, I almost lost the game. Now I'm going to go win the game. And I'm happy to see him have that attitude. And man, he had so much energy walking off that field. Big smile on his face. He yells in that little camera that they have. Maybe it's a different, maybe, maybe we, maybe we're really seeing him grow. And tears Ryan, coming in my eye, man. Ryan Marquette says that playoff appearance was a hope with yes. an ellipses. So I think he's a little, I don't, I don't think he's hopeful anymore either. Um, last question before we get out of here from Lucas powers, longtime listener, always asking us questions. Thank you, Lucas, for always providing some, some fabulous questions for us. And it's a good way to transition into Maryland week thoughts on calling the Maryland game, the biggest game of the year. Aller has been terrible on the road. I will not accept losing to Maryland. You want to hear a hot take? Oh, yeah. Maybe. I can't believe I'm saying this. Maybe the Indiana game is the biggest game. Hear me out. Those who really watched the 2016 Penn State team, a lot of them would say the Minnesota game is the biggest game of the year. Bigger than Ohio State and Wisconsin. Why? Because if it wasn't for that Minnesota game, the other games don't happen. And I kind of subscribe to that so in a way playing a bad game against indiana could end up being the biggest game of the year um do i think maryland's the biggest game of the year no i i don't think you could put them above ohio state or michigan but indiana may end up being that biggest game because it could have been the turning point in the year but we don't know that answer yet we'll say this for i think this is drew aller's biggest game in the sense of needing to prove that the home away splits is is not true because it has been so far. So he can he can write that ship a little bit and kind of again build a lot of confidence before coming home to play Michigan. So I, I think Gerald needs to have a good game against Maryland in order to have a chance against Michigan. So to a certain degree, yes, but also no, because Maryland continues to drown themselves in October. Uh, they just lost to Northwestern and are looking pretty pathetic. Maybe they write the show. I, I don't know if you heard, Sean, it's officially a gold out on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd be a lot more afraid of Mer. I'd be fearing a turtle more if it was last month, but they're Maryland. Yeah. Plus, like that, they have some other things going out with their program. Kevin Sumlin just got a DUI. Uh, then they go and lose to Northwestern. I just think it's a bad scene down there right now. Yeah, and the little Coach Gaddis facing against his former team as well. Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting matchup to watch. He got us a couple of years ago when he was Michigan's OC. Yep. Anywho. Whoa. I think we're two and one against him, though. I think he was the OC in 19 and 20 as well. I want to say he was there for two years. I don't remember which two years he was there. I thought it was 19 through 21. I could be wrong, though. He might have got there in 20. 
But I know we got to win against him. Okay. I believe you. I don't remember his years at all. Yeah, because they had a different guy last year. He went to Miami last uh, in 2022 when they were there. He was at Alabama for two years, right? Yeah, he left us in 18. Yeah, after Ronnie got the OC job. And then... He's only at Bama for one year. I say that would only be in Bama. I can look him up if we really care. Yeah. yeah, that'll be a preview. That'll be a preview thing. Yeah. Sean, any final thoughts before we get out of here? I just want to say shout out to everybody on YouTube for hanging out with us. Got a, had a good crowd tonight, so thank you guys. We'll be back on Wednesday night live on YouTube, seven o'clock Eastern. Um, but you can catch the auto version on any podcast form that you can. So if you miss it, it'll be there as well. Any other? Oh, pick them. Standings are on Twitter right now. Um, I'll probably we can show them before the next episode or, or the beginning of the next episode. Uh, most importantly, Corey is still on top, and I am creating space from my co-host Sean Kane. You got three points last week, Sean. Yeah, it was a bad week. Bad it was a really bad week. bad week for the bonus points. Like a lot of people, I think the average is like a four on the on the uh out of seven it's always harder to pick as the season goes on yeah because there's more upsets um coaches are on the hot seat so they're gonna tr- they're gonna be putting all their eggs and and back in all these baskets to win certain games so it's always harder to win as the season goes on also attrition uh, attrition yep so I am yeah, not no. rising to the, I am not rising to the challenge. Yet. And the Big Ten West right now is an absolute yeah. mess. How do you predict the Big Ten West? It's even worse than usual. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. How do you predict that division? I still have no idea who's going to win it. No, no. I guess Minnesota right now. Yeah, I think Minnesota's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the funny thing about it. Yeah, they got absolute boat raced by Michigan. Um, D.A. Adams is great show, great content, balance analysis, great job as always, boys. So thank you. I appreciate that quite a bit. Um, we'll be back on Wednesday. Hopefully we'll have a guest for you as well. Um, but until then, that's Sean Kane. Or I guess that way. That's Sean Kane. I'm Corey Lestogie. You've been listening to Hardcore Penn State Football. See you on Wednesday, everybody. Have a good night, everybody.